You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you. If you're watching at home or listening to this down the road online, welcome. We're glad you're tuning in. In this service, we obviously, for those of you who are here, you know this, but we had two baptisms earlier, and I just found out, apparently the heater was turned off at the baptistry, and so those two people were baptized in the cold, and I just want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Aren't you proud of them? Amen. Good job. (laughs) All right, so well done, good and faithful servant is a phrase that Jesus tells us we will hear one day when we get to heaven. So there's two phrases that we will possibly hear. If you are in Jesus Christ, he will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now enter your master's happiness and enjoy many things. And to the other side, those who don't have Jesus, he will look at them and say, away from me, I never knew you. And I'm not too stressed about hearing the other one for me because I said a long time ago that Jesus would be my Lord and Savior. But there's a third option that I am really afraid of. And that is, what in the world are you doing here? Nobody? Man, that fell just as flat last service. And you'd think he'd go, wait, let's not tell the same bad joke twice. All right. So today we're going to talk about a heavy subject, but it's a question that you've been wrestling with maybe for most of your life. And you didn't didn't verbalize it, didn't know how to put it into words, or didn't have anybody to ask. And the question goes something like this. So I don't know, about five years or so ago, I had taught on a similar subject And I ran into a dear, sweet old lady in our church, and she was greeting at the doors, and we just had some time. Nobody was at the door. She said, Pastor, can I just ask you a quick question? I said, sure, what's going on? And then quick questions are never quick questions. But she said this. She said, why is there a judgment for Christians if we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ? What is the importance of a judgment day? So what I want to talk about today is what happens to us after we die. Like, And what I'm going to tell you right now is I hopefully leave you with more questions than answers. It's like a lost episode. No, I'm just kidding. But I want to give you enough answers for you to get a handle on the subject, to be able to think about your life, weigh your life, understand why you're here, what God is doing in you in this moment, and then for all of us to walk away and wrestle with it further. So if at the end of this, what happened to me in that conversation, maybe you're like me. So I started answering her question, and I started taking some passages I knew and started throwing them out there. And in the back of my mind, here's what was going on. Parents, you understand what this is like when your kids ask you a question you don't know the answer to, and you're making it up on the fly. Is In the back of my mind, I went, I don't know the answer to this question. And I'm the pastor at Kingsway, and I've been doing this now at that point for like 15 or so years. I should know the answer to this question. I don't know the answer to this question. So I went and I read this book by Randy Alcorn called uh, <clears throat> The Law of Rewards. And you probably can't see this from where you're sitting, but the tagline here is uh, giving what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. And I read the book, and honestly, here's what happened. So I read the book, and I got to the end of it, and I thought, yeah, I don't know know about that. I don't know if I agree with that. Because most of my life, what I was taught was there is a final judgment day, and you know, those who are in Christ will go to heaven, and those who are not in Christ will go to hell. End of story. The problem is, I kept running into hard passages that didn't make sense to me in that box. And I'll give an example that we didn't read. The last two weeks, we were in Luke chapter 12. Go read Luke chapter 12. At the end of Luke chapter 12, the disciples are also trying to figure out some things, and they ask Jesus a question. Who are you telling us to? Like, are you telling everybody here? Are you just telling, is that just for us, or is that for everybody? And Jesus, as he always does, he pulled a Yoda, and he's like, mm, questions you ask. And, but he says it this way. 
He says something like, a good servant will be responsible with what the master has given him. And an evil servant won't take the master's replies and commands seriously. And so the master's going to be gone a long time. And if that, ma- if that servant gets lazy or he starts taking, abusing the servants or he starts getting drunk or he starts messing around morally, then there will be many punishments for that servant. And you go, thank you, Master Yoda. I have no idea what that means. And essentially, you read it, though, and there's these passages where Jesus says something like, anybody who hurts a little child, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea than to stand before God on judgment day. Or another times, he says, it would be better for, for uh, Tyr and Sidon um, on judgment day than it will be for these people because they're seeing Jesus and they're not repenting. You're like, how can it be better for like Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyr and Sidon, these totally evil cities in the Old Testament? How can it be better for them on judgment day? And what you come to the conclusion, if you read all the passages on end time judgment all together, you come to the conclusion that yes, there is a judgment day that's coming. And yes, it's going to be very real. And it's not just going to be a simple check mark of in or out. It's going to be much more intense. And I want to take you on that journey today. And I just want you to know there are many, 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 many passages. We do not have time to go into all of them. But here's my summary. So if you get nothing out of today, here's what we're going to cover quickly, really, really quickly today. Ready? I'm going to give it to you. This is the way they taught us to teach Bible college. And I don't do this because I don't like it. But here it is. I'm going to do it today. Ready? Number one. A judgment day is coming for everyone. Yay, we'll get that. Okay, number two, where we spend eternity is based off faith in the finished, that's an important word, work of Jesus Christ. That's better than number one. We'll get to that too. Number three, how we spend eternity is based off our faithful behavior here. Let that sink in. And then number four, whatever you believe will determine your behavior. If it doesn't, that's called hypocrisy. But by and large, that's true. All right, now let's take these one at a time and hopefully give you some handles on the subject. You ready? Number one, a judgment day is coming for everyone. There are many passages I could show you this. Many of the ones I'm gonna show you today will dip back into this concept, but let me just give you one of them. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13, 14. That should be hard to remember, 12, 13, 14. It says this, now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Anybody else get a little anxious just now? Anybody have some stuff in your past? you hope nobody finds out about? Anybody's past yesterday? This verse alone, verse 14, um, should be enough to get our attention to say, oh, well, what do I do about that? Let's look at the next one. Where we spend eternity is based off faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ. All the Christians in the room should have gone, yeah, woo in light of that last verse. Let's cover it a little better than that. All right, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 to 28, the writer of Hebrews says this, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. All right, so 
Real quick, in summary format, this is the entire Bible in summary form. And many passages we'll look at today, we'll do that for you. But just as people are destined to die once, you're only gonna live once, right? I used to joke when I'd go check out like Walmart, people would say, how are you today? I'm like, I'm good. It's a good day, right? I guess you only, you know, you only live once. And then I would joke and say, you only die once. And they would always look at me like, what? I'm like, forget it. It's a biblical thing. Anyway, you only die once. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I guess that's not technically true, but we'll get to that later today. You only die once and then you die again, depending on which side of this chasm you're on. So here we go. Back to this. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Okay, so there we covered that. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So what is he trying to get to? The writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is just trying to let us know that this is gonna happen to everybody. It's not gonna go well. And that's why Jesus came. The first time, this is why he came. But the second time that he comes, he comes to, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is an important thing. Most famous passage in the entire Bible, John chapter three, verse 16. If you know it, why don't you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life or everlasting life. And there's many versions. That's the KJ Matt Nickerson version, the KJMNV, I'm going to call it. Okay. So we've got this hodgepodge of verses. My grandma grew up Catholic her whole life. God bless her. And she went to a, a, a Christian church in town after my grandfather died just to try a different church out. And the little kids got up and quoted John three sixteen, And she was like, I don't even know what they're saying right now. And found out later it was a verse in the Bible. So maybe that's your story. That's okay. No big deal. But what that verse tells us is God sent Jesus into the world to take away the sins of the world. That's what this is getting to because he loves us. But most of us don't talk about John three seventeen and three eighteen and three nineteen. He goes on and he says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But then he goes on and he says, however, many people didn't come into the light because they were afraid of the light, that the light was going to expose them. In other words, Jesus didn't come the first time to point a finger in condemnation. Jesus came the first time to say, God hates sin so much that he chose to do something about it. And his solution was Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much that even though he hates sin, he sent his one and only son into the world where sin would kill him. And the evil, prideful, sinful, arrogant, boastful, selfish, power-loving hearts of men would put him on a cross and crucify him. And when people look at him, some are so afraid that what Jesus wants to do is expose them so they stay out of the light. They don't come into his presence because they're afraid of the secret things. They're afraid they will be exposed. But anybody who sees him and knows what he's about and understands how compassionate and merciful and loving and kind he is, don't run away from the light, but run into the light and bring their shameful things, their secret things into the light so that the light can shine on them and make the dark things bright. That's essentially what it's getting to. And Hebrews here is letting us know this is good news. This is great news. Because the way that we deal with our secret thing problem is we come to God and find that he's not just full of wrath. He's full of mercy. He's not full of judgment. He's full of compassion. He's full of love. He's full of grace. And we see it poured out in Jesus Christ. But the second time, well, that's when he'll either be bringing salvation to those who are in him 
condemnation for those who aren't. So what is the purpose then of judgment for the believer? What is the purpose? First Peter chapter one, verse 17, Peter says this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Okay, let's back up for a second and see if we can get to some answer in that question. Ready? Come back to the first section of verses there. There we go. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. In other words, there's nothing you could do to buy off God. That's essentially what it means. It won't matter how educated you were, how smart you were, how rich you were, how poor you were. Every man, every woman will be without excuse. We will all be judged impartially for all that we have done in this body, whether good or evil. Remember Ecclesiastes. So Peter's conclusion, this is Peter, St. Peter, who guards all the gates and the silly jokes we tell, that Peter, he says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In other words, he's drawing on Abraham in the Old Testament and he's going, remember Abraham, when God called Abraham out of his home and said, I want you to leave everything you've ever known, leave your family, leave all your possessions behind and bring with you your wife and I'm gonna make you the father of many nations, but I'm gonna take you to a land that's not your home, a land you don't even know where it is. Just start going, I'll show you when we get there. And then Abraham has to live his entire life in a land he doesn't know anything about. He's a foreigner in the land. And Peter's drawing on the story of Abraham. And he's saying to us, you now followers of Jesus Christ, you do the same thing here. This world is not your home. Don't get comfortable. Don't invest your lives in clothes. Don't invest your lives in jobs. Don't invest your lives in cars. Don't invest your lives in houses. Be very careful. You are only passing through this place. You aren't going to be here very long. So leverage the reason God put you here for the reason God put you here. For you know that it was not with the perishable things like silver or gold, valuable things. God didn't purchase your right relationship with him with things that are valuable. He owns all the gold. He owns all the diamonds, all the rubies. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. That doesn't mean he doesn't own the thousand and one hills where the cattle's. It means he owns all the cattle's on all the hills. He owns all the properties. There, we are told there are planets out in the universe that may be all diamond. He owns that bad boy too. He didn't sell any of those things for you because those things are irrelevant. He sold his son. He gave up the one thing that had the most value to him to redeem you from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. There's a phrase we use in our culture. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Have you ever noticed, no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to escape your parents? You notice that? That thing that your parents did when you were a kid and you swore you'll never do and then you had kids and you went, oh, that apple didn't fall far, fall far from the tree, did it? The, the challenge for every child I'm learning, including one day mine, will be to the old baby bathwater analogy. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. That's a really weird analogy. Let's just be honest for a minute. How about the eat the meat and spit out the bone? Maybe that's a better, better analogy. 
The whole idea of all of us with our parents, we gotta take the things that were really good that point us to God and keep those and throw away the things, cast off the things that were handed down to us by our ancestors. Those activities and behaviors and attitudes and things that are preventing us from becoming more like Christ in this world. So how do we take that? But here's the thing, Jesus is redeeming us from all of the empty things that we try to do to bring meaning and value out of life, to accumulate and to capture out of life. Jesus is redeeming us from all those things. Now go to the next part but with the precious blood of Christ. He didn't buy you with silver or gold. He bought you with Jesus, the lamb without blemish or defect. Next year, we're gonna study the book of Exodus and we're gonna see that in their story is our story, but that's not for today. At the end of the Exodus story, when God wanted to set the Israelites free and buy them to himself, he protected them with the blood of perfect, innocent lamb whose blood was put over the doorpost. And on Passover, the night that Jesus is crucified, he takes the cup that we just celebrated in communion and he passes it around. He says, now this is my blood given for you. And it was the cup of that lamb. And everybody's going, what are you talking about? And then he was crucified that night, rose from the dead three days later. And now we've been taking communion ever since. And Peter's drawing on that and saying, this is exactly who he was. And he knew this before the foundations of the world were laid. So when John is writing John 1.1 and saying, all things were made through him, think about that. While he's raising up the mountains and he's digging out the rivers and he's forming the sun and he's putting birds in the sky and dinosaurs on the earth. And then he raises up an Adam and he raises up Eve. All of a sudden you realize he's doing this and going, one day guys, one day I'm gonna give everything for you because I love you. And all of a sudden we realize that God is not this evil judge. He crazy loves us. Where you spend eternity is fixed by what you do with Jesus. Because the problem that you and I have is that no matter how hard we try, we keep sinning. Jesus is a perfect, without blemish or defect lamb. That doesn't mean he didn't have a bum leg or arm. It means he had no sin. He's the only one who was able to live the life that we should have lived so that when he died the death that we should have died, he was able to give us the life that we could not accomplish on our own. So where you spend eternity will have everything to do with not how good you are, how hard you work, how righteous you are, how much better than your neighbors you are. Where you spend eternity will have everything and only this. It'll have everything to do with what you do with Jesus. But how we spend eternity is based off our faithful behavior here. Now, when I read that book by Randy Alcorn, I was like, "Mm, I've never been told that before. I don't know what to do with that. And so then I started doing research and I found the guys like Augustine, one of the early church fathers from the 300s believed this. C.S. Lewis believed this. John MacArthur believed this. John Edwards, a famous theologian for a couple of years ago, believed this. John Piper believes this. Everybody named John believes this. <laughs> John Caldwell believes this. Just found out of lunch this week. And I even found out that one of my Bible college professors, a guy named Jack Cottrell, believes this. Famous theologian from our brotherhood. And I thought, how is it I went through Bible college all those years? How is it I've been studying my Bible all this time and I've never known that before? How? Well, I don't want you to ever have that happen. So this is my time to tell you about this. Let's take a look at just a few verses that lead us to this. There are many, many, many more, but here we go. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne 
This is in Revelation. All the colors have symbols. Everything has a powerful meaning, but this is the throne Jesus will be sitting on to judge all of us. And him who is seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. In other words, the old order has passed away. A new order is beginning. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. I wanna be clear. I don't wanna make too much of this. I listened to multiple pastors, read multiple things this week, and some have this opinion. I don't know that I could prove it to you, but here's the thing. I will always do my best to be honest with you. When I'm convinced a passage says something, I'll tell you where and I'll tell you why. When I'm not convinced, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you your other options. But I think it's interesting and I wanna point it out. So when it says that books were opened and then the book was opened, it's possible that's pointing to this very thing. There is a book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, it's because you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ like these two young people did here in our service earlier in baptism. And they have been united with Christ. And Paul says in Romans chapter six, if we have been united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, we will certainly be united with him in eternity one day. But then there are other books where the secret things, the good things of our life are brought to bear. And on judgment day, one book is open and either you're in or you're out, but then the other books are open and it's evaluation time. And Jack Cottrell, my professor of Bible college, he says the purpose of this evaluation period is to vindicate God. So that when God makes his judgment, his assessment of your life, whatever punishment is received or whatever reward is received, he will be seen as just. When everybody else looks at your life, nobody is gonna go, well, that wasn't fair. Everybody will go, that was a good judgment. Years ago, I was listening to a podcast. Two theologians were talking back and forth. They were answering this question. Do you think when we get to heaven one day, we'll be surprised by who is in or by who wasn't in? And as they pontificated back and forth, it's a fun question to sit around and talk about. But as they pontificated back and forth, one guy said this profound thing and it stuck with me ever since. I don't even remember his name. But I'll never forget, he said this. He said, I think on that day, there's a tendency on earth to think, well, those people should be in. It's not their fault. If you knew what they had been through, if you knew the, what little information they had about Jesus, if you knew they were trying their hardest, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew, it wouldn't be. And he said, I think on that day, we are all gonna be absolutely blown away when the books are open and their life is laid bare and we're gonna see, oh my goodness, look at all the ways that God pursued them in love. He gave them so many opportunities to respond and they hardened their heart and still said no. And I thought that rings true with every passage I've read on this subject. Revelation 20 goes on and it says, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. See the difference? The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. I am not here today to talk extensively about heaven or hell. What exactly heaven is, what exactly hell is, I'm only here to say when you hear this, it is clearly symbolism. But symbolism, the very point of symbolism is to help you understand a reality that is far worse. Symbolism 
is grasping at straws of the human language, trying to get the depth and the breadth and the realness of it so that when you read it, whether it's exactly literal or it's trying to make a point, you get it. You walk away and go, that's a bad deal. And I say this because I don't want anybody in here to walk away and think God is a mamby-pamby God. He's not. He hates sin so incredibly much, he let it kill his son for you. And before you judge him, let me caution you. You want God to judge. I know you do, because let's just say tonight, when you go to bed tonight, somebody breaks into your home and brutalizes your family. Isn't there a part of you that wants to go to the police station and say, get them? Well, of course there is. It's not that we don't want God to be just. We just want God to be just with everybody else. We want ourselves and our family and our friends and our loved ones and whoever it is we give a free pass to, we want them off the hook. But God is infinitely holy and infinitely righteous and infinitely just. Therefore, nothing can be let off the hook. Everything has to be washed by the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. And in him, in him alone, we find our standing So now, verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death that I used to joke all the time. Well, you only die once. Well, kind of. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter two, verse five. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Now, stick with me here. One of the things I hate about social media is that we love to take a verse, any verse, put it out, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, wherever it is you like to use social media. We put it out there, and then we claim that as like all that the Bible has to say on a subject. Almost every subject I've ever found in the Bible is very nuanced. There's lots of verses, and God does it on purpose because he intends for you to chew on it, to meditate on it, to be like a cow pulling up the cud and just kind of, maybe that's not the best analogy I could go for here. To be able to think about it, process it, meditate on it, go, now what do I do with this? But what about this? And what about this? That's why sometimes I hate preaching really short sermons because like there's so much more to say on the subject than I have time to say, which is how I feel right now. So I'm gonna get back to what I'm saying. The point of that is this cure comes in Romans chapter two. That's not the end of Romans. Romans chapter three says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter six says, and all of our sin has earned judgment and condemnation. Romans seven, Paul says, and I'm guilty. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to escape this life of sin and death, which is how he comes to the conclusion of Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The whole point is someone saved him from the wrath of God and his name is Jesus. Clap for Jesus. And then he goes on and he says to those who persist in doing good, Seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. If you take that verse by itself, you go, well, that's a works-based salvation. Well, then you didn't read the rest of Romans. Paul is not saying you earn salvation. 
by seeking after these things, but he is building his case that if, because we understand that Jesus has taken our secret things, our shameful things, and he crucified them on the cross, so we are no longer condemned by the evil that we have done, he now is saying, now for those who live out this life and persist to do good and seek after pleasing God in this life, there is a reward that's coming. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And he goes on, he says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All right, let me just summarize this down, right? Apart from Christ, our evil deeds will condemn us for eternity. Whatever those shameful things are, whatever those secret things are, apart from Jesus, it doesn't matter how much good you've done. Let me just stop here for a second, okay? I am deeply concerned for the American church, Kingsway included. And the reason I'm concerned, big picture America now, over the last few decades, American Christianity has continued to trend down massively. I don't have time to go down this road, but many of my conservative brothers and sisters have aligned their faith with their conservative politics. And many of my liberal brothers and sisters have aligned their faith with social needs and gospel. And the heart of the gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ. And we must never lose sight of the cross of Jesus Christ. The reason we're moral is because we love God and wanna honor him with our bodies. And the reason we do good in the world is because we love God and we wanna honor him with our things. And it's the tension of the two things and Christians don't ever lose that tension. Don't ever lose that tension. But I'm very concerned about a church in America that is shrinking while the church in places like Afghanistan and Iran are the two fastest growing churches in the world today with the most persecution. And the church in China is quickly behind it. And the church in Africa is not far behind. And in the place where there's the greatest amount of persecution, the church is growing. And in the place where there's the greatest amount of freedom and wealth, the church is shrinking. And I think part of the reason why is we have fallen in love with something other than Jesus himself. And we have forgotten that we are foreigners passing through. And so now we can consume our Jesus. And please, if you're watching at home, many of you have a legit reason to be at home. So this is not me calling you out. But if you are feeling convicted, please wrestle with God on this. But I am very concerned about a church who consumes, who takes and takes and takes. You take in the services, you take in the sermons, you take in the worship, you sit at home, you're cooking your eggs, you're watching your kids, you're letting the dogs out. There's something going on in the background and you're disconnected from Jesus himself and the body of Jesus himself. And where does that lead in the long run? And I love you too much not to tell you I'm worried and I pray for you. Maybe you're sitting there right now. I don't know where you are. I don't know where this message lands. But before I finish my message, I just need to call you back to Jesus. Come home. Maybe you've never given your life to him. Maybe you've never been united with baptism with him. Maybe you've never surrendered. Come home. And don't wait till Tuesday. And don't wait till next Sunday. Because if you wait, you probably won't do it. 
And Jesus keeps getting asked, when are you gonna return? Where are you gonna set up your kingdom? And he says, nobody knows the day or the hour. No one knows. So Jesus' conclusion over and over and over again in Luke 12 and Luke 19 and Matthew 25, his conclusion over and over and over again is be ready, be ready. At any moment, any day. If you knew today you were gonna get in a car accident and you were gonna die and you're away from leaving church, would you get ready right now? Yes. <clears throat> Jesus says it this way. If you knew the thief was coming at 2 a.m., wouldn't you stand there ready to defend your home and your family against the thief? But you don't know when the thief is coming. So be ready at any moment. Jesus isn't saying he's a thief. He's just trying to say, if you knew, you'd be ready. But since you don't know, be ready all the time. Be ready all the time. Are you ready? Should Jesus return right now? Are you ready? I wanna give you a chance to respond. At the end of the service, you can go out to our Connect Hub, just say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Or if you're at home or here, you can pull out your phone right now. Just text CONNECT, 317-565-4911. But why wait till the end of the message? Why wait? Just do it. Do it right now. Now let's go ahead and finish on this concept of rewards real quick. Because apart from Christ, all of our evil deeds lead to increasing wrath and anger and judgment. With Christ... All of our righteous deeds are rewarded in eternity. Let that sink in for a second. So like, apart from Jesus, I keep trying to do good things so that I feel better and feel like maybe I've earned my way into heaven. And it means nothing. It's not gotten me where I needed to go. But with Christ, all of those good deeds, all those good efforts do something. They actually store up treasures in heaven for me. And if when I say that, you think, ooh, I'm gonna have a bigger house. Ooh, I'm gonna drive a whatever in heaven. I'm gonna have a bigger, bigger jewel on my crown. You ever hear that joke? Oh, these got an extra jewel in their crown. Well, how heavy is this thing gonna be for crying out loud? What's interesting is there, ah, time. Okay, what's interesting is there are five crowns listed in the New Testament. And those crowns are given for different things that we might do for God. And without going into those, because I don't have time, in Revelation, we're told that when we see Jesus, we all fall down and we take off our crowns and we lay them at his feet. Because whatever exactly the reward is, whatever exactly the treasures are, whatever exactly the implication of those things mean, when we see him, we'll say to ourselves, ain't nothing else worth that. We're just gonna lay it down and be like, he alone is worthy. So in Revelation, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Do you see it? Matthew 16, Jesus says it this way. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What are you gonna give? Your car, your house? I mean, what, what can you give to buy salvation? Nothing. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So I can't give anything, I can't do anything to earn eternal life. But what I do makes an eternal difference. And here's the one thing I would say, and you gotta get this little handle because I gotta tell you, when I first started hearing this, I felt really anxious, and you may be too. So I hope this clears up anxiety, but I want you to wrestle with God, all right? So here's, here's my little thing. My reward in heaven is related to my faithfulness, not my fruitfulness. Here's what that means. I got a friend, his name is Aaron Brockett. He leads Traders Point Christian Church. Traders Point has been one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. I lead Kingsway Christian Church. We've successfully shrunk our church really, really well over the last 10 years. 
I'm glad 10 of you thought that was funny with me. <laughs> but I'm not gonna stand before Jesus for whether my church was bigger than Aaron's or Randy Stanley's or Craig Groeschel's. I'm not gonna stand before Jesus for how well I led your kids. I'm not gonna stand before Jesus for how well I loved your wife. In fact, if I do, that's a really bad thing. I'm gonna stand before Jesus for how faithfully did I do everything God has called me to do? How faithfully did I lead our elders and our executive team? How faithfully did I share his word with you and challenge you and encourage you? How faithfully did I tell my amazing wife that I'm so thankful that God has put her in this world? How faithfully do I love my kids and, and try to lead them in the Lord? What happens is out of my control. There's a story Jesus tells. He actually tells two similar stories, Luke 19 and Matthew 25. Look them up later. Luke 19, Jesus tells a story about giving somebody some minas. It's a form of money. And he comes back. The master goes away a long time. And he comes back and holds him account. And he finds out that some of his servants do a really good job with what he gave them. And some servants do a really bad job with what he gave them. He rewards those who does good. And he punishes those who don't do anything. Matthew 25, we see it clear, though they're different stories. The reason I say that is in Luke 19, before I get to Matthew 25. In Luke 19, we're actually told the one who does something with the minas is put in charge of cities in the world that is to come. What exactly that means, I have no idea. But his faithfulness here leads to responsibility there. That's what I take away from that. And in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, he's, he gives, I think it's five, three, and one. I can't remember, five, two, and one. He gives one servant five talents, one servant two talents, and one servant one talent. The one with five doubles it. The one with two doubles it. The one with one does nothing. And he says to the master, and since the master's gone a long time, it's been 2,000 years, I don't know how much longer it's gonna be. And one day the master comes back and he gives everybody an account. What'd you do with what I gave you? And the one with five says, I doubled it. I got 10. The one with two, I doubled it. I got four. And the one with one, he says, what'd you do? And he says, oh, master, I knew that you were a hard man. And then he makes this profound statement. I knew that you reap where you haven't sown. Now, wait a minute. I don't know if you know what that means. If you're not in farming, that means he believes that the master can actually bring a harvest where he never put seed in the ground. Tell me who can do that. I believe God can. And that's the point. So the master looks at him and says, no, wait a minute. You believed, you believed that I was a hard man, that I was gonna hold you accountable. You believed that. You believed that I could literally blow your mind and bring anything from nothing. And your response to that was, I will do nothing with what you gave me. That's your response. And then he says to him, away from me, I never knew you. So I guess it leads us to the question, what are you doing with what you have? You're not gonna be held accountable for somebody else's job or somebody else's business. You're gonna be held accountable for yours. You're not gonna be held accountable for somebody else's house or money or retirement accounts or savings. You're gonna be held accountable for yours. What are you doing with what God has trusted to you because it's all his? And then Jesus gives us this great advice. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What? I don't know if you know this today, but um, it's very popular to make, like, say, a YouTube video. One of my favorite YouTube artists, and I love the guy. Like, I hope I get to meet him one day. And so if you're watching this, his name is Mark Rober. Mark Rober, if you're watching this, I want to meet you. So please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. I'm about to use you as an example. 
Mark Rober, great guy, former NASA scientist. I used him, I think, last week. Mark Rober, he made a video recently, and he took some kid, I think he'd had cancer, and he brought him in, and he surprised him. He threw this party, and he made a video, and he put it out there, and he's like, yay! And everybody's like, that's so cool. Not only did Mark do this cool, awesome thing, everybody got to see it. Look, he blessed this kid with cancer, which is totally cool, but Mark is doing it so that everybody knows what he's doing. And don't get me wrong, it's how the dude pays his bills. Like, I don't fault him for paying his bills. But Jesus goes on in verse two and he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward in full. In other words, you can either get your reward here by other people going, you are awesome. Or you can get your reward in heaven when God says, well done, good and faithful. So he goes on, he says, verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, we're not doing good things to get praise. We're doing good things to get eternal praise. If the reason we do anything in this world is so somebody else will say, you're awesome, man, that is your reward. And I gotta tell you, that scares me sometimes. When I'm telling these stories about like my family or I'm telling these stories about my, my wife and my life, like I wanna be very careful. Like I struggle with this one because I wanna encourage you and inspire you and motivate you. But I also wanna stand before Jesus and not hear him say, well, you already got your reward, bud. Everybody thinks you're awesome. I want Jesus to go, great job, well done. Nobody has a clue. You bless their socks off, good job. And I want that for you. Recently, a, a dear woman in our church, um, came into a settlement and she came to me. She said, Matt, I want to tithe on the settlement. I tithe this 10%. She said, so I want to write this check to the church. She goes, is there anything like cool that I can give this money to? Or should I give it to the general fund? And my response was, give it to the general fund. It's not sexy. I get it. And the reason though is twofold. Number one, God gets all the glory. See, when we give to things out of our own, have you ever noticed like nonprofit organizations, they're going to Pump the snot out of those who give big bucks, right? Because we all feel good about it, but that's not the point. But number two, when you give to the general fund, it keeps these lights on. It keeps the staff working. You may not even have kids or students, but we have staff for those teams because we believe in this community, there's a lot of kids and students. It keeps our air conditioning running so we're not hot in the summer and heat running so we're not cold in the winter. It keeps the, the ministries as poor, like Family Promise and Sheltering Wings our missionaries in India and Mexico. It keeps them going. It does all these things. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not. It's like, man, I want to give to a thing. I want to hear a cool story like Dollar Club. It's so much easier to get motivated to Dollar Club. But the reality is every dollar you give here goes right back into ministry. And we are working really, really hard to reduce our debt. Our goal is to get the debt to zero eventually, but 75% over the next five years so that more money coming in is going back into ministry and not to paying debt. And I'll just be honest, this is not why I preach a sermon, but we got a gap right now. We're about $300,000 short of our projected goal by the end of the year. So just think about it, pray about it. Maybe now is your time to join us. And if that's true, you go to kingswaychurch.org backslash give, find all the information you want there. But here's where I want to close. I don't know exactly what God is saying to you. What I don't want you to do is miss out on whatever blessing God has for you for eternity. 
So whether that's today salvation in Jesus Christ or whether that's today changing your heart and mind about your life and uniting it with Christ, here's what I want you to do. And I know this is weird, but I'm gonna ask you to do this at home and I'm gonna ask you to do this in the room. If this message is for you, if God is speaking to you, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put your hands out. You could just barely put them out in front of you and I want you to turn them palms up. And we're gonna ask God to loosen our grip on the things of this world. Heavenly Father, help us. God, I first want to pray for any man or woman, young or old, in this room or at home listening. I want to pray for them first, God, to surrender their heart and their life to you. God, anybody who's never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that never been united with him in baptism, God, I pray right now that they would take this step, not wait a day, not wait a week or a month, not get around to it, but right now, because no man knows the day or the hour. And I pray, God, for the rest of us, those who have surrendered to you already, God, the things of this world are so tempting. They're so shiny and pretty and fun. It's being funny, but being honest, God, it's so easy to get distracted by things that don't matter. God, with our hands open and our palms up, we give to you whatever, whatever you're telling us is in this hand right now, whatever we're holding on to with a death grip but we can't let go of, God, would you just yank it out of our open hands right now? Take it. It's all from you. It's all for you. It's all by you. God, we love you. Stir in us, move in us. But God, let us stand before you and hear those beautiful words someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Let me put you in charge of many more. Oh God, may every single one of us hear those words. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, all God's people pray.